0: Your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, April 16th, 2021, and this is episode 664. First uh, up here, we're going to talk to the uh, associate director of the Atlanta or Hotlanta Film Festival and uh, Creative Conference. Then we're going to talk to filmmakers Jeffrey Wolf and Sam Pollard about a new documentary and we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, Sam has been on the show uh, as much as just about anybody else. This might be his fifth fifth time or sixth time. But first we're going to talk to uh, Cameron uh, McAllister, who has been with the Atlanta Film Festival for, uh, apparently, this is his eighth festival, and he is um, a key member of that uh, festival. And, you know, Phil uh, Radio loves to champion the film festival, especially nowadays. Everybody's uh, looking for any kind of help they can get with anything they're doing because of the pandemic. This last year, so many film festivals have probably uh, uh, faded into oblivion just because they couldn't figure out how to, you know, survive. And uh, fortunately, with a festival like the Atlanta Film Festival, it's so entrenched and so, you know, has such a strong foundation of being around for so many years. For God's sake, this is the 45th Atlanta Film Festival. Then it's going to run from uh, Thursday, April twenty second through Sunday, May second, and there actually will be in person screenings. You can hear Cameron talk about that. Uh, He he describes how they have set up the theater that they use there, and really figured out how to uh, make this work uh, safely. And there will be drive-ins, which of course are 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 much. a lot easier to pull off in the sense of uh, people are in vehicles for God's sake and then and then there'll of course be the virtual version which is which is how I will experience the festival up here in New York uh but I hope to one day whether it's uh, the next festival next year or down the line somewhat to attend in person I'd love to meet everybody and to check out I I've only been to I don't know that I've ever been to Atlanta I may have been through Atlanta I know I've been through Georgia but I I feel terrible I I've been it's it's ridiculous there's no excuse for this so anyway they use this theater called the Plaza which is historical they are one of the rare Festivals that where films can qualify be Oscar qualified if they play because you have to play uh, in a certain festival and you have to you know have a theatrical. This is historically the way it is. I'm I'm sure it's in fl- been in flux lately, but this is historically how a film gets to be considered for Oscar nomination is they have to go through a qualifying film festival and also a theatrical in New York City or Los Angeles. So the Atlanta Film Festival is really has, uh, That as well as uh, Programming s- uh, some of the great New independent films that are being coming out So visit AtlantaFilmFestival.com You can buy just individual tickets To various screenings And enjoy uh, Let's talk to the uh, associate director of that festival Cameron McAllister Right now only here on Film Wax Radio How are you doing? Good, Cameron. Nice to meet you.
1: Good to meet you, too. Welcome. Thanks. Done many of these before? Uh, I've done a lot of um, interviews over the year. I haven't really done any um, podcasts or uh, too many video interviews. Gotcha.
0: Well, you have a face made for video, so don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) And you you
1: set up very well there. It looks good. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm hoping there's not too much sound from people in adjoining offices. Um, hey, Cameron! It means you
0: guys are working. You're busy. Yep. You got a festival in a few days. You should. It should be a little noisy there. I don't mind that yeah. at all. Okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we'll just we'll edit in some background noise <laughs> Perfect. just to emphasize how busy you guys are. Yeah. Well, I imagine though the uh, crux of the uh, intensity is is behind right now. It's just a whole lot of little fires and things of that nature
1: yeah and you know um so this is my I want to say it's my eighth wow. uh um, on staff um of course I've been around um for longer than that I was press I was uh a member I was part of the screening committee I was you know just different stuff before I was ever on staff and um so yeah every year's a little different this year especially is different from last year which of course was postponed
0: you guys have, end up not
1: having a festival last year? We did have a festival, yes. Yeah. It was so pushed we, back, okay. Right, so we the last day uh, in the office was, I think, March 12th. I think that was a lot of last pe- last uh, days in the office around the country. But our festival was supposed to be April, I can't remember even now. I think it was in supposed April. to be the end of April, the beginning of May. And so okay. we, of course, I mean, we were getting ready. We were actually, the, the day before we uh, had to postpone the festival, we were having a programming lockdown where the whole staff was in our conference room together. And we were, um, we were going through the programmers were walking us through all the selections of the festival, just so that we could all be familiar. And it wasn't something that we had ever really done before. We had, we were trying to make an effort yeah. so that the whole, um, staff could, could be on the same page, you know? Mm-hmm. And then of course the world fell apart and, uh, we had to move to the festival. So we ended up having a drive in and virtual, uh, festival in September, mm-hmm. uh, which was very strange for us. Cause, um, a lot of us have been on staff for quite a while and we've always been kind of a, a spring festival. When I started, we were early March and then we kind of slowly moved to April and then closer to May, which I feel like suits us pretty well. And so, yeah, we, we ended up doing this about, you know, six or seven months ago, but it was so different from the previous right. festival and this festival is different from that one because we are back having in-person screenings again, uh, limited, but um, yeah, so, it's, you know, everything's different. Right. Of course. And next year will be different too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. What's nice is, I guess, is
0: that you were able to pull off the festival. So you actually, this is the 45th Atlanta Film Festival mm-hmm. and Creative Conference at a, in 45 years. So you didn't have to somehow re- go back and <laughs> monkey with the numbers. It <laughs> it out. Out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Maybe a um, we'll take, a, we'll take a, a breather. Just kidding. We won't.
0: You are the associate director of the festival. Mm hmm. So you've been, as you said, on staffer about this is your eighth festival, but and, and and you've had a relationship, though, with the festival going back even longer. So it's a real relationship for you, right? This
1: is like. It is. It's uh, it's by far my longest uh, relationship, I'd say. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think I started attending in 2007 when I was just a, a poor college oh, yeah. student who opened up The newspaper and was like Atlanta has a film festival which of course Atlanta had had a film festival for um 30 something years at that point uh I was just learning about it and I went I remember I went and saw um La Vie Rose with Marianne Cotillard where she won her um I saw that in back then the festival I think was in early June right Um, and I was hooked it it just got me in and so it wasn't until 2014 was my first festival on staff um so yeah I've been been there quite a while.
0: Yeah, I mean festivals I think not to get too sidetracked, but film festivals are kind of like yeah, you know, it's a subculture essentially mm-hmm. if you're not a filmmaker or somehow tangential to that. Mm-hmm. You know, most people other than a couple of exceptions obviously everybody knows of Cannes and of New, you know, there's obviously a handful of festivals that everybody's kind of aware of, maybe the New York Film Festival, a few others, but you don't realize just, you know, how many there are, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's changing. I think that's changing And we could have uh, uh, this conversation at another time, but I feel like film festivals are, have been filling in the gap with in terms of seeing live screenings, meeting other people, film, uh, the directors and possibly cast members, that type of thing in real, mm-hmm. you know, um, in person IRL because even in the best of times, distribution has become becoming more and more, Difficult, you know, for Mm -hmm. so many films in Atlanta, you know, for over the years, I've I've been wanting to get down there, Cameron, because the reputation is pretty terrific for this festival. So I'm really just thrilled that, that finally, even though it's been, it has to be done virtually that, that I'm able to attend. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about, you got 188 films, by the way, right now as people listen uh, tickets are currently available already. Mm -hmm. So just talk about that. Like sometimes festivals, you have to buy the badge, you have to buy a whole like a badge for X amount, and it gives you the opportunity to see pretty much anything you want. But it's a bigger investment. But here you're selling, you know, a la carte. I guess.
1: Yeah. So um, traditionally, we um, were uh, we we've always been both a badge and a ticket festival. So you can attend one event and pay, you know, just a regular ticket, or you can get a badge and you know have have um, access to all sorts of stuff. And and our festival is largely pre-COVID um, had a lot of social events. You know, we're all about Southern hospitality and Atlanta's is a, a good time city. So um, we had lots of parties, um, lots of hangouts, lots of uh, mixers and networking events. And of course, you know, with, with restrictions and just common sense, we're, we're not having that this year. So our badge system, we've adjusted just because the, the needs for, for that are a little less. So you still can get a badge. But tickets, I mean, that's that's the way I've, I've attended many festivals are just individual tickets. You can, for our indoor screenings, we're um, using the famous Plaza Theater uh, in Atlanta, which is the longest running, continu- the oldest continually operating movie theater in the city. It's the only minority owned movie theater in the city. So we have pod seating set up. So uh, every pod is at least seven feet away from the nearest pod. So um, it's safe. They're, um, they're cleaned and changed out in between. Um, screenings. There's ionization in the theater for for air filtration. Uh, there's all these these different things in place to make it a safe experience for everyone. Right. So a pod has has up to four seats. So if you buy one uh, one ticket, that closes up the pod. If you bring three people with you, y'all can all sit in the same pod. So yeah, it's you know it's it's a little different. It takes a little bit to wrap your head around. It's similar with drive-in or drive-in screenings. You know, you pay. X amount. If there's only one person in your car, if it's just you going to see this movie, you pay a little more, but less per person. If there's two people in your car, then if there's two people in your car. So yeah, you can, if you just want to see one film and you kind of filling it out, I know, I know film festivals for the, for the lay person are kind of hard to understand. You know, I I like to explain uh, them like a a music festival. um, Since uh, people kind of have more of a grasp on that, I think they're kind of higher in the public consciousness than film festivals. But, you know, at a, at a music festival, there'll be several different stages set up across different days and different artists playing different times. It's the same way with us. We've got several different venues screening different movies. And uh, you can come for one or you can stay for more. And that's where the badge kind of comes in handy is if, if you know, you know, you're going to be seeing a lot. Yeah. And then virtually, you know, it's super easy. We use Eventive as our platform um, so you can watch, you know, on your TV, you can watch on your computer, you can watch on your phone and our virtual tickets i think are mostly 9.99 so that's kind of a steal for some of these movies
0: yeah the badge gives you an immersive experience though and and mm-hmm. it's there's a, just a kind of a an empowering kind of an empowering feeling of being able to walk in you know to see anything yeah. you want but one other thing that does separate a, a festival and i believe you do have a it's a competition festival correct so you have a, uh-huh. a jur- you have jury awards we and do you have yeah. audience awards we do Mm -hmm. The the nice part about being a festival attendee is you actually participate in that, which is nice. You get to vote on the films you like the most and you get to provide filmmakers with their uh, laurels, which helps films. I mean, you know, um, it's, it's essential also for filmmakers to make it into festivals. Awards are extremely
1: helpful for creating momentum for a film, which can lead to distribution, et cetera. Yeah. So awards and laurels are kind of like, if your film is a Christmas tree, these are the decorations, you know? So the more you have, the, the more extravagant, the more beautiful, the more striking it is, um, which is going to help it, of course, appeal to distributors and other people that want to watch your film down the road. But then um, also, so our, our uh, jury awards, all three of our short film categories, so narrative feature, doc feature, and animated feature, are all um, Academy Award qualifying. Um, We're one of only... I want to say a handful of festivals in the country and, you know, more around the world that are, that are Oscar qualifying in all three categories. Um, So that's pretty, Um, really exciting for us. And it's um, I know it's something that all of our jurors every year are kind of thinking about, you know, I didn't
0: take that into consideration. Yeah. I forgot that
1: that Atlanta is,
0: Mm -hmm. is a qualifying
1: festival. It's a big deal. Yeah. And then um, our audience award. um, I mean, I, I know I work for the festival, but, you know, I'm always voting. I always cast a ballot for, you know, my favorite film as well, because um, it's, it's empowering as a viewer to be kind of um, on uh, seeing something before, you know, anyone else is going to see it, because that's, right. that's really what the festival is. It's pre-gaming for um, the, the traditional theatrical market. So, um, like, a few years ago, for instance, um, we had uh, The Farewell as our opening night film, uh, Lulu Wong and Aquafina were in attendance and it was just, it was an incredible experience and I love that film. It ended up winning kind of in a landslide, our audience award. And so getting to see A24 share those laurels of Atlanta Film Festival yeah. audience right. award was, I mean, that was, that was, that was a pretty great feeling, you know? Yeah. And you can see the direct pipeline from the Atlanta Film
0: Festival to the, uh, the major award. I mean, I know when uh, the, the uh,
1: spirits, right. Did mm-hmm. it, right. It was an Oscar nominated uh, I don't think it was. I was. I was pretty salty about it. I, I wanted. I wanted it in Best Picture, Director, Actress, Screenplay, Supporting Actress, Music. But you know, it did very well at the Indie Spirit Awards, um, yeah. and uh, I think the Gotham Awards. It did really well. Probably, yeah.
0: Well, you know, I. I I'm always uh, deliberating whether or not I should get into specific films because there's certainly not time to cover all 188 uh, features and shorts and everything. However, you know, so I don't like to play favorites, uh, but you did, you do have an opening night film and a closing night film. So I guess we could touch on that as we, you know, maybe wind it down a little bit because I know from reading the press release that you really have an intention of keeping this interesting balance in, in the kind of, in the films you program and, and that you select for those two nights
1: yeah so just in in general i i feel like um our identity as a film festival is a filmmakers film festival so you know we've never had kind of a a large a famous celebrity benefactor or um you know a high profile i mean atlanta's obviously mean like a, high a city but like a robert de niro or uh yeah like robert like de niro, de niro with or robert redford with sundance yeah. You know? so you know it's like well We're probably never going to crack that top tier of Sundance, TIFF, con, you know, stuff like that. But uh, we are a resource to our filmmakers and to indie filmmakers. And that's the type of films we want to always be accessible to indie filmmakers and film lovers. You know, so while we do love to kind of showcase um, all types of films from, you know, indie stuff that comes from submissions that, you know, unfortunately may may never find a wide audience all the way to. Studio films from distributors that are that are you know already being marketed and, and awaiting theatrical release. So some of our marquee titles are like that. So our opening night film and our closing night film are really good examples of this. So our opening film opening night film is called Socks on Fire. Um, it actually won the Tribeca Best Documentary Jury Prize last year, except it never screened because Tribeca never ended up um, holding their festival. But I think it finally makes its world premiere uh, in San Francisco, or maybe it just made it. Um, at the San Francisco Film Festival, um, but uh, we're, we're so excited to play, them. we were going to play them last year, and then, of course, they kind of pulled back and, and didn't end up playing Tribeca, but it comes from a filmmaker uh, named Bo McGuire, who, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's he's a straight-up star. Um, he's actually from this small town in Alabama, just down the road from where my dad is from, mm-hmm. uh, Hoax Bluff which I feel like, you know, some towns you hear the name and you, you know all that you need to know about that town and Hoag's Bluff must be one of them. But it's kind of a love letter to his, um, his grandmother as his, uh, there's kind of this familial war going on between his aunt and his uncle, who is a drag queen. So it's, it's very poetic. Bo's kind of narrating it, but there's this cast of characters, some of whom are, are real, playing themselves, and, and some of whom are, are actors. So Odessa Young, who is in who is in Shirley, with, um, Elizabeth Moss last year. She's in the film. be oh, sure. Decker's, um, Decker's film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Socks on Fire is very much an indie film. It's very much a Southern film. It's very much kind of the, the, just the type of film that we just always cling to. Mm-hmm. And, um, going to be in attendance for opening night, which, you know, normally we have this big grand party and everything And this year. Of course we can't, but we are, um, Having performances preceding the film from drag superstars, uh, Rock and Sakura among them, other other names to be announced. So I feel like this is a very indie film that is is making a very big, splashy Hollywood type of premiere for us. And then our um, our closing night film is kind of the opposite. It comes to us um, from a studio, uh, or from a distributor, IFC, and it stars Eric Bana, and it's like a very It's an Australian production. It's called The Dry, but it's a very kind of Hollywood crime mystery, like very professional film. And I I watched it and I just fell in love with it. It opened uh, New Year's Day in uh, Australia and it's already broken um, some box office records um, because it's been so well received. And by Robert Connolly. Robert Connolly was the, the writer director. And, uh, it's just a, It's it couldn't be more different than socks on fire, and I love when we're able to kind of have bookends that are that are so opposite because we we show it all and we love it all.
0: Can you just say something briefly about the creative conference component?
1: Yes, yeah. um, that's I know taking place all virtually this year. Yeah. So last year we actually, when we were forced to go virtual for the creative conference, we had just a great time with that, and we were like, oh, well, we can't wait to do it virtually. Maybe now from now on, you know, who, who knows what the world's going to be like next year, and maybe, you know, it will return to some in-person capacity, but for now, we really enjoy having it um, virtual, so people can just kind of watch it at their own uh, leisure, they can absorb as much as they can, because they'll have, you know, they don't just have to show up in person during the day, it used to take place Monday through Friday, like nine to five, kind of, so, you know, if you couldn't get off work, or if, you know, maybe you weren't a film professional, but you're trying to get into it, and you have a, a kind of a regular day job, then there might be some conflicts for you, Um, but also the fact that um, doing it virtually and pre-recording a lot of it allows us to have a lot kind of greater reach of talent so um, we're able to get people that maybe that you know for them to be a part of the panel we don't have to fly them to Atlanta now which makes them more available and more willing to do it yeah I think we have about 40 different um, I'm not sure the exact number I I should be but 40-ish panels and master classes and workshops everything Mm -hmm. from David Diggs and Rafael Casal talking about their new series, Blindspotting, which the the film that it's based on was our opening night film, I think three years ago. They're back. We have a stunts panel that just recorded. Uh, I'm really excited about because stunts I'm, I'm part of the Oscars need to add a stunt category uh, team. I know that the SAG awards are the only high profile stunt category in the the awards uh, industry, but I, I think there needs to be more attention to that and, and more um, exposure to to the great work that our stunt people do. Um, There's just, there's all sorts of stuff. There's something for everyone at the creative conference. And our our director of the creative conference, Linda Burns, is a, she's an industry vet. She's been here for um, just decades working in Atlanta, even before, way before the tax credits. And so she's just got a real grasp on who we are and who Atlanta is in the industry. And then uh, I think that really spills over into these great panels. And how do you see those panels? Do you also have to buy tickets for those? How did that work? Yeah, so there you can get individual tickets or you can get, you know, one of our like virtual badge uh, options. I think we also have a six ticket pass. So if you're, you know, kind of in between, oh, maybe I just want to do one or two things or do I want to get full access? Maybe this is the, the right the right step. But they're all um, they're on the same platform as the the virtual films. So it's all through Eventive, and it's uh, super easy. Ask your boss to pay for it first. Just try. Yeah. Ask your boss to pay for it. An education write-off.
0: Yeah. Well, again, it's the 45th Atlanta Film Festival Creative Conference from Thursday, April 22nd through Sunday, May the 2nd. 188 films and panels and more. Uh, Did you also, were you able to do Q&As
1: for the virtual or do you? I'm... I'm not sure if we're doing uh, virtual Q&As this year. Um, I know we've we've okay. made an effort to um, to kind of enhance uh, available information about the filmmakers. Um, like on the virtual platforms, you can always read about the filmmakers on there. Um, right. there, there there's probably going to be some recorded Q&As. And then, of course, for the in-person and drive-in screenings, right. we're course. anticipating some talent that's going to be making it into town or some of the local talent that will be doing uh, live Q&As. I mean, you'll be able to honk your horn. at uh, Right. Yeah. Actually... Uh, we've gotten in trouble uh with some of the honking uh some of our, our screens uh late at night or are, are they in town? Ta- you're that you're in town. So we encourage flashing lights. Oh, very good. Because yeah. you're are you're in town?
0: Because uh the ones I uh, I I'm up in the Hudson Valley now and I went to the Woodstock Film Festival in the fall also had uh virtual they had a rather a, a drive-in. In- and oh, I, I attended yeah. them there. you you were in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so yeah. it's like honk away, nobody's gonna yeah. have any problem. But it's a nice experience for uh, the you know if you got a car or just you know gang with some other bubble and mm-hmm. uh, you know experience it. It's it's a fun way to see the movie. For sure, um, it's it's uh, yeah. Cameron McAllister is the associate director of the Atlanta Film Festival. This was great, thank you. And unless I left something out, and you, or you wanted to mention anything else, did we I think we covered a lot. But no, yeah, yeah I, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay, we'll so uh, we'll do this again sometime. Yeah, all right,
1: thanks, Adam. You bet. Have a good day. You too.
0: up here, we have uh, the director of a new documentary called Bill Trailer T-R-A-Y-L-O-R, Chasing Ghosts, which is opening today, Friday, April 16th, in New York City and Los Angeles, in New York at the Film Forum, my my home away from home, as it were, as well as the Lemley NoHo 7 in Los Angeles. But if you go to kinomarquee.com, you can choose... Uh, from an, a, a, a list of art houses, whether it's your local one or you just arbitrarily choose an art house that appeals to you, you could stream through Kino Marquee's platform through their this art houses you know streaming website, like Film Forum is one as well. So if you're a New Yorker but you don't want to go to Film Forum physically, you can still watch it. And what David, my friend who uh, uh, works at Kino Lorber as their publicist, said is that half of the ticket. Go half of the cost of the ticket goes to that art house. So you, I I mentioned this in the film. Excuse me, in the conversation that you're about to hear with the filmmaker Jeffrey Wolf and the producer of the film Sam Pollard. That is the case that that you're you're supporting not only this wonderful documentary and the filmmakers, but uh, but you're also um, supporting art house cinema and, and the art houses themselves. It's important now more than ever. And so now. Jeffrey Wolf is the director of this film. It's called Bill Trailer, who was born. Uh, the subject is w- of the film. He's an artist, and he was born around 1855 on an Alabama cotton plantation. He was a slave, and then slavery ended. If you know your history, American history, it's 1855 when around then, so slavery ends not too long after the Civil War, of course, and um, he survives through many years. He still works in the same land for the same family, as so many slaves did. But uh, eventually, he moves to the city of Montgomery, and he starts becoming an artist late in his life, very late in his life. But the story is incredible. It's a remarkable story. Uh, you can go to uh, com and learn much more about the film, about the team behind the film, about how to see the film, etc., but it's an important documentary about an artist who finally is getting much deserved attention. His name is Bill Trailer again, and um, an important artist from the African-American community or the American artistic community. So check out his art and the film, of course. Again, here is uh, uh, the director, Jeffrey Wolf, and Jeffrey Wolf and the uh, executive producer of the film, uh, Film Wax Friend. Sam Pollard uh, here on FilmWax Radio.
2: I think Bill Traylor is probably the greatest artist you've never heard of, but he's getting heard of more and more.
0: Traylor's an inspired visualist. That's the only way you arrive at work. that's that distinct, that esoteric, that visually elegant and refined.
2: Bill Traylor lived his life between two radically different worlds. Rural and urban, old and new, black and white.
0: He is engaging with issues around class, how we behave and how we treat one another, sometimes good and sometimes not so good. I see a very animated, agitated,
3: violent, mystical realm. Bill Traylor was born into slavery in 1853 near Pleasant Hill, just outside Benton, Alabama.
2: In the last years of his life, he lived in the city of Montgomery.
0: One of the things that people talk about when you go to a New York city, it's a city that never sleeps, that's the way they talked about Monroe Street.
2: He was witness to the rise of an African-American culture. The transcendent surprise is that all the while, he was nurturing a remarkable creative gift that would not be expressed for decades. There, he took it upon himself to pick up a pencil and paintbrush and put down the story of his life in the way that he could in pictures.
0: I could place his work next to
4: anyone, and he would still stand out. When I see Bill Terrell's work, I see this
0: yearning for a place that's beyond here. It's a place that's not
2: tangible.
0: How are you, Sam? How are you, Jeffrey?
3: I'm good. I'm good, thanks. Thanks for asking. How about Very you?
0: Good. Very good, thank you. Good. I was I was grateful for the opportunity to see the documentary and to really, honestly, to learn about Bill Trailer. What is nice is we'll introduce him to a whole new audience, right? Mm-hmm. Let's start talking about what a unique way in he had. Right, this is a a guy who was born into slavery. Fortunately, uh, you know, I guess optimally uh, towards the end of that time, he was so he. I guess he was a uh, slave for a while, and then he he worked the the land uh, under contract to the same slave owning family, and he uh, eventually went off to Montgomery, Alabama. This all took place in Alabama, and then he uh, became, uh, later in life, he became homeless and started in his 80s uh, drawing. Right? So he had no training at all, right? And he, (laughs) so the the early, I see in the earliest stages, somewhat crude, childlike drawings, but at some point he finds a voice there. You know? Yeah, go ahead and interrupt me anytime. By well, way. I was just going to say
3: that, um, I mean, what you're bringing up is like, <clears throat> what's that transcendent moment where he's putting together his um, his ancestry and his history and his memories and all of a sudden, like, they click in 1939 and he for three years he pours out these amazing drawings sitting on a street corner. You know, that, that's the amazing phenomena is like you know how that happens, how does that happen exactly and that's one of the mysteries we don't solve right and, but you know also um I mean I fell in love with his work almost forty years ago when I saw it for the first time, and it stayed it stayed with me and you know but in order to tell a story about an artist, you kind of want to have that B story and so I kind of came up with this idea with with my friend Fred who helped me write it um. He, he did most of the writing, but um, this idea of like showing what his, what trailer's purview was, what he may have been seeing and trying to line up the music and the images and the narratives that we chose to kind of go with, you know, possibly what his experience was, you know, and it's not a perfect life either. You know, he, yeah. uh, he had a lot of, uh, he, you know, he was a, uh um, He was um, baldy, you know. I mean, he 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 was out there Mm -hmm. as a person. So, you know, I think um, what what people are responding to is is that it's a it's a full life, you know. That we're not just showing the banner things; we're showing everything about his life.
4: Yeah.
0: Okay. Did you
4: go ahead, please, Sam? One of the things I think that Jeff does really well in shaping this film is he's looking at a man who. You know, it was homeless who lived on the streets of Montgomery, Alabama, but Jess was able to see that this man created a, a fantastic, beautiful visual language that makes him stand out, you know, you know, far above other artists, you know, around that time. So I, I think that, you know, for me, when, when Jeff first showed me a rough cut a long time ago, before I got involved as an EP. I could see, you know, the mo- to me, what's important about making films about artists like this is that the director has a really has to have a real strong perspective and point of view, which I think that Jeff has and that he brought to the material and the mm-hmm. way he shaped it, the way he had to narrate himself, tell the story, the use of dance and the silhouettes that he created with his team. So to me, I didn't know as much about the trailer as, as Jeff did before he introduced me to him, but it just opened my eyes to how important some of these artists who some people consider outsiders really are creating work that is so now and so present, you know, and it's sort of, it's how evocative it is.
0: Well, he's an outsider artist because he's not, uh, you know, he didn't go through the ranks and the whole built-in infrastructure that exists for the majority of artists, but he's also an, an outsider in the sense that there's no purer way to become an artist than discovering this whole thing on your own and, just developing a voice, an artistic or, or yeah, language of your own, you can't in any way even suggest that he was, or know if he was uh, influenced by anything other than his own experiences.
3: Well, yeah, you know, it's also um, it's a history that we didn't, you know, the situation he was in, the the you know the official history wasn't very well kept. Either and so right. he he mm. that word outsider is such a tricky thing to to him he probably wasn't an outsider <laughs> you know he just didn't he just did what he did as as Radcliffe says he just did what he did when he did it <laughs> you know um, so it, it that word is such a tricky um, it, it's actually a phrase that kind of came up around African Americans I mean I first saw his work at the at a show called Black Folk Art in America, 1930
0: to nineteen. At the Corcoran, at the that's Cor- the show that was at the Corcoran. Mm-hmm.
3: Right, and, yeah. um, you know, we didn't have a word for art brute in America, so they used this word outsider, and but it, it tended to be directed towards Southern African-American artists at the time. So, I mean, we've gone, in this 40 years since, we've gone through quite a, a journey with it, um, You know, it's known as outside of art, so that's kind of the brand at this point. But, you know, I think one of the goals here is to, you know, know, as artists, Sam just did an amazing movie about uh, 20th century contemporary artists. And a lot of those artists would tell you they don't go into an art store to buy their supplies anymore. It's like it's found materials and it's... um, um, you know, it's it's much more an organic thing, which is what trailer was doing from the very beginning. So, you know, it's uh,
0: so he found his supplies. I mean, he just drew with whatever, I guess, right. pencils or writing implements he had handy. He was
3: often and, given paints, you know, people would come oh, by and give them right
0: and, and donate them. But,
3: but a lot of the you know, there's a drugstore next door called Dean's Drugs that whenever they would throw out the posters or their candy boxes that things were delivered in, he would upscound with them. If you look on the back of many of these drawings, there's baby Ruth cartons and, you know, um, yeah. that that kind of material. So Yeah.
0: Well, one of his great-grandchildren, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. said that when she was little and she came across a bunch of these drawings in a closet or something that she right. just just sort of drew on the back and you, know, you thought it was right. scratch paper to use your words. Right. Like, right. cause it was on, what was kind of scratch paper. It wasn't like on a canvas. It wasn't on a, you know, these weren't framed. <laughs> you know? uh, no, well, they
3: were often tacked onto the wall with a nail or a piece of string yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And <clears throat> I bet she wishes she had some of those now. <laughs> <bet> she
4: does.
0: <laughs> well, so yeah, I mean, this. This is what the film is kind of about, too, about the, the legacy, his legacy and the family. You you interview um, a large number, I would say, of his surviving family, his great-grandchildren, some grandchildren that are still around.
3: We found uh, six great-grandchildren. We had we to dig them up. I mean, it was not... Uh...
0: Don't say that. <laughs> but...
3: Uh... <laughs> I mean, it you wasn't...
0: Out. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to dig them out of the grave, but we well, had okay. to. You know, we had to go looking for them, and yeah. um, and we found a, an actual granddaughter. And I, I happened to find footage that was taken of her twenty or thirty years before, so I was able to put those two worlds together. Um, but you know, the other thing is materials didn't hang around as much as they do today. You know, we don't we don't have uh, drives that we're saving things on. You know, just finding that historical material is is kind of difficult. Um, like uh Kerry James Marshall had a phrase that he calls a vacuum of images. And that it that kind of means that a lot of the things that we would reference from that period got destroyed or don't exist. And the and the same kind of thing with absence of ruin. If you if you go to Montgomery 10, 15 years ago. It doesn't look anything like it did in 1960. It was completely a ghost town, and so if you don't have those things to remember anymore, you know it's hard to keep that identity of a place. But Trailer somehow, you know, he was there when it was a thriving community. So, you know, a lot of people say those image, a lot of those images are referencing. I talk about it in the movie a bit, but it was one of the first things. It's referencing some of the um, built-in environments of Montgomery. The fountain, the state house, the clock that's in the center of town—that he was actually using those as some sort of a reference for himself.
0: Sam, did you? You said you came in, you saw a rough cut.
4: Yeah, and I know Jeff quite a long time. Both, you know, oh, so okay, we, we were editing colleagues, and and we've both made this transition to director. So you know, in the last right? You're five, both
0: editors. You all both come from an editing background,
4: correct? Yeah, correct. yeah, we're both we're editors, so we've known each other for quite a long time, but the last five or six years we've become pretty tight and so when he had showed me the, the one of his early rough cuts you know I was I was enthralled I was intri- you know intrigued by Bill Trailer and his uh, the arc of his journey and so you know I kept watching cuts and it was getting better and better and then Jeff asked me to come on as a, an executive producer and I couldn't say no I mean he's he's a, a brother in arms as far <laughs> as I'm concerned and so you know and he's doing something that's important telling the story about this artist that people were never aware of. Him. And I'm glad that now is that there's an opportunity for, for for an audience to see it when it premieres at the Film Forum and online. And, you know, I'm glad people are getting a chance to know who Trailer was. You know, I spent a lot of time in Montgomery myself, you know, because my son went to Tuskegee. So, hmm. you know, I'm sort of connected to that city also. And I'm even more connected now with, with uh, Jeff's film. So, you know, this is sort of a nice sort of synergy.
3: Well, also with MLK, I spent a lot of time in Montgomery visiting... MLK locations, you know, and um, in the par- the parsonage house and getting tours. And, you know, so there's all, all this kind of crossover. And, and also, you know, Sam and I did, we, we, we literally started around the same time. I, I was in more feature films at the time. He was a little, you know, sort of going back and forth between documentaries and feature. So we've, we've had this interesting dialogue
1: mm-hmm. back
3: and forth about mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So, you know, and, I mean, this film... You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you'd you be the judge of whether it was a typical documentary, but I kind of came at it from a from a, a narrative point of view, I guess. And well, I will I'm, say
0: one thing that stood out in my mind now that you bring it up. For instance, I kept ex- hearing voices and what sounded like, like voiceover narration, but it turned out it wasn't. It was they were sitting, looking at the camera, talking directly to the camera. I mean, you know, we have the talking heads, but there was a different, going on here Mm -hmm. you know it's like uh, people I mean I don't know I just feel like they were almost characters in in, in there
3: Um, very good you're one of the first one of the few people to mention that because I wanted them to be um, I wanted them to be the drawings I wanted them to be the narrator I wanted Uh them to be performers I wanted if you notice they're kind of dressed casually kind of on the rehearsal stage I Mm -hmm. wanted the feeling (laughs) of kind of an impromptu vibe and um and because you you don't want to you don't want to take i mean it's serious stuff on one hand but but he also had such a such a sense of humor about him and and there was like there's so much that we don't know that we kind of just want to leave it loose so that there are ways that people could kind of grab onto whatever they could relate to you know
1: yeah
0: did you, you say there's, um, he had a sense of humor. Do you, do you derive that from his work? Oh, definitely. Anecdotally? Yeah, not from him personally. I, I, no, well, I know that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> no, I think the work has a great sense of humor to, um, you know, um, a, a man kicking a woman in the back with, you know, with, with his foot. Um, there's, you know, just sort of the way the characters are situated at times. Yeah, I think I think he's being—I don't know if whimsical is the right word—but um, you know, I I think he's seeing the world in kind of a you know a obtuse way.
0: Yeah, it's well, kind he, of
3: a, top, a topsy, turvy kind of world for him.
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't—you know—you just don't think of from the few photographs. You just figure, oh, he's had such a tough time of it. He probably yeah. lost his sense of humor, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting to find other ways of maybe. Re- understanding him yeah, you know, well, yeah there's,
3: like, there's other... so few photographs and no recorded audio um so we we started digging deep into the drawings and you know many times when it's a man holding a pipe or somebody on you know crutches we figure that's him and he's commenting on on you know what he's doing within that scene
0: talk about and so. Uh... Ahead, sometimes
3: him. he's got his fists up and he's ready to fight and you yeah. know other times he's kind of barely getting by so
0: uh he was sort of right he was discovered i mean he uh uh while he was uh working doing his making his art right he this guy charles charles shannon shannon of course and he right and then eventually got him an exhibit can you talk a little bit about that part of the film? I mean, we can leave a lot of it less. We don't have to go into the. Yeah,
3: much, much you well. know, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, com- it's, a, it's only complicated in the sense that um, there was a movement in Montgomery around 1939 that was a group of kind of liberal minded Southerners who started something called the New South that was kind of an answer to the Harlem Renaissance. Uh-huh. And they had discovered trailer and they gave him a show in the new south for you know just of the work not framed or anything just up on the wall and um they didn't charge any money you know they didn't sell the work it was just a display and um and that was up for about a month and uh, some people say trailer came to see and it was kind of out of context for him he couldn't relate to it but um but the New South had a lot of internal problems and kind of broke up after a year. But Shan- So they didn't exist anymore. So, so Shannon kind of held on to the idea of Trailer for quite a few years. And then he fi- he finally, without getting much traction, he finally put the work away around 1959, 1960 and only brought it out again in the early to mid 80s. When, um, I mean, if you want great detail there, there was a Horace Pippen show that he read about Shannon. Mm-hmm. So he called the gallerist who showed the Pippin material and asked that gallerist whether she wanted to show the work. And she, um, she did not. But two of the people who worked at the gallery became like his main dealers. And now it's all secondary market, right? It's all out, you know, whatever that we know that exists, like 1200 to 1500 pieces, all are in collections or museums um it's not something that you're going to find in a flea market or a, right. you know or any yeah. store too easily at this point
0: who holds the deed on this stuff who who owns the, the, it the, who... the
3: copyright you mean yeah um you know it was done so long ago it's it's kind of complicated i don't think you really want to go into
0: that no no that's in that's a separate <laughs> documentary just that sam can make uh Tonight. But there
3: was a settlement, you know, as it, it was mentioned in the film, there was a settlement where family members wanted some yeah. work and they, they got 15 or 18 pieces in a settlement.
0: The name of the film again is Bill Trailer Chasing Ghosts. Sam mentioned it was going to be at the Film Forum. It's opening Friday, the 16th of April in theaters, including Film Forum at the Lemley NoHo 7 in LA. And it will also be available virtually across the US. I guess on the Kino uh,
3: on the Kino Marquee.
0: Kino Marquee platform.
3: Platform, yes.
0: Uh um, you know, it's a little
3: complicated about that as people go, well I look at the list and there's nothing near me. Right. But I think the way Kino Marquee works is you can pick any theater that you
0: want to support. And That's a, a beautiful theater. thing. That's why we love Kino Lorber. They're and buy it. Got it right. You know, that's why I like I like whenever a film like this comes across I, you know, it's always a pleasure. I know David's on, so I can say these things. I know he's <laughs> he's probably smiling. Anyway, uh wait, wait, was there any local or Montgomery or Alabama screenings or well yeah we did put, kin get any get a chance to see it ahead of
3: Yeah, we premiered we premiered the film in Montgomery and um last year we actually got the city of Montgomery uh to put up a historical marker on the corner of um north lawrence and monroe street which is where he used to work where there's a parking there's room marker garage, right? and
0: there's also some sort there is a a uh, well it's it sounds like it's a, an historical yeah uh, that's a
3: historical marker but we did in the movie we did photograph a um um he had been he had been buried in an unmarked grave yeah, and we yeah. have a, like a um, ceremony yeah. that we put a, a gravestone up
0: this is a perfect almost perfect it's wrong it's wrong, but it's almost perfect that he's in an unmarked grave somewhere. Cause it's like, you know, this is the guy's <laughs> life. I mean, from the beginning to, you know, it's just like people have tried to push him <laughs> completely out of the, out of the world on some level. Is and he- yet, and yet, because he, this, whatever it was, this uh, who knows this incredible uh, gene or something that he had, he was able to make this beautiful, expression of art and it survives him and now you guys are telling this story which is so important because the universe has tried to push this guy away as many times and kill him off and you know but thanks to this film that won't happen so
3: well and and there are other you know i don't know if there's other people like him but there are other stories right that um Probably
0: probably many many like him
3: yeah, you want to bring, you want to give people a chance to tell their stories, and I, I think that uh, you know that's what I I got very vested in the the possibility of of keeping him from disappearing, um, and and the, while the work is important, I think the individual's life is important. And remember, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure where you grew up, but where I grew up, you know, it wasn't part of the education. You know, we heard we heard banner things. It was like reconstruction and Jim Crow and, you know, but we never learned about the things that came in between. So that was a very uh, strong education. And, um, and, and, and also, you know, I, I, I've been talking a little bit about this, but, um, you know, we have to get the people who make these, you know, who, who finance these movies a little more um, involved in the idea that these are good stories to tell. You know, mm. I mean, we got very lucky with Kino Lorber and Filmform. You know, they have a certain amount of power behind them, but without them, you know, we'd be sort of dangling around, so...
0: Yeah, I'm sure Sam has something to say on the subject because he's, const- he's probably always balancing the- that very issue in the work he does, like trying to tell stories like the Bill Trailer story, but also trying to tell a commercial story because he gets his films on HBO and on, you know... <laughs> Netflix. I, I think, I think
4: what, what Jeff's saying is very important. To those, is it's important for the Kino Lovers, and the ISCs and all these sure. these distribution companies and production companies to realize that there's these are these fantastic and phenomenal untold stories like the story of Bill Trailer that needs to be out there to the public. Because Jeff's absolutely right. I mean, the education that we have all gotten misses the point that there's mm. these really important stories about people and men and women who did phenomenal things and no one knows about them. So anytime you have the opportunity to shape a documentary about someone like Bill Traylor, that should be, you know, an opening to say there are other stories about people like him, you know, be it in the arts, be it in yep. you know, the visual arts, be it in literature, be it in film whose stories need to be told. You know.
0: Well said. Oh, and there's a note from, Kino Larber Singh, obviously you guys said uh, you can choose the art house that's associated with, who says sign on to the uh, Kino Marquee platform, and half of the uh, ticket sales goes to the art house. So it's important. So you're supporting independent film, you're supporting documentary, you're supporting art house. So just buying a ticket to this film is is uh, is, uh, obviously really uh, important.
3: Yeah, and, and one of the things that i'm happy you know in, in, without um mm-hmm. i think i think the idea of art itself and, and creation and you know the last four or five years we haven't gotten much of that we haven't got much support from the top in that no and i think that um we're at a point where we you know we need to smarten up and get some more culture <laughs> into our society
0: <laughs> well the the empirical data is there they say you know people are smarter when there's art and um, other countries seem to make it more of a priority. This country just does, has failed terribly in that regard. Uh, you know, I'd be the yeah. first to, yeah, uh, I agree with you hundred percent. Well, you know, thank you guys. Uh, My pleasure, Sam, thank you again. It's, uh, <laughs> I'll probably see you soon again for another project. I hope.
4: And you probably will, yeah.
0: You know, <laughs> really? odds, odds are good, so you're
4: but make sure everybody tells everybody on your podcast to go and see. This I will, about you know, I will. Bill you... Trailer, Bill Trailer chasing Bill trailer. and
3: to tell your friends if you like it, yeah. tell your friends. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that the trailer kind of sells it pretty well. You know, I think if people just give it the two minutes to watch the trailer, well, we gonna... like
0: I said, we're going to put it at the beginning of this, right? So, yeah. um, Great. We'll, we'll force people to sit through the trailer, not that they'll mind it <laughs> you know it's a great trailer
3: yeah we haven't really talked about the music i mean there's a ton of really yeah. interesting good music sure
0: and you also know? you got tap dancing in this film it's <laughs> it, which is a form of jazz right one can argue a form of jazz adam yeah. adam it is jazz it is jazz <laughs> <laughs> correct it on my podcast once again it's jazz
3: it's jazz
0: <laughs> what about the music you were mentioning you wanted to say something? Well, I was just
3: going to say I, I think that um, you know, it, in my films, I tend to because I'm worried I don't want people to feel that it's like academic or preachy. you know, so mm-hmm. I try to I try to give something for everybody. <laughs> I try to make some nice visuals and some good music and and uh, you know some some things that you may not have seen before. I, I was just so psyched when I found that footage from 1941. Montgomery I mean I showed that footage to a historian in Montgomery and she had never seen it before and she wasn't old enough to know what that looked like
0: where'd you find that
3: it was uh actually I found it in the NYU library but it 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 was um then I kind of did research to find the original but it was a very well-known photographer named Rudy Rudy Burkhart and he um he had been stationed in Alabama during World War II and um, he was out with his camera one day and he just mm-hmm. went out and shot the footage. You know? and, uh, and the other, there's a lot of material in there from the early days, 19, 1890s from, from uh, Dallas County of a woman photographer named uh, Mary Ellen Kep who all those are glass negative photographs, literally shot maybe even on the same land the trailer lived on. I mean, those were like phenomenal things to, to dig up. And, um you know, it kept giving me more and more confidence that the movie could be made because, you know, I had interesting things to show to people. So
0: thank you again. Bill trailer, Chasing Ghosts at the Film Forum in New York or at the Lemley NoHo7 in L.A. and on the uh, Kino Marquee platform. Thank you, guys. and uh Thank you. Thanks so much, in- Adam. Thank you.
4: Be good, Adam. Say hello be your good. son.
0: I will. Thank you and your daughter. Thanks, man. Plural. Thank
3: Bye. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. You too.
0: Thank you. thanks so much. We are heading into another great period of just wonderful conversations, and uh, not that we got out of it, but I'm very excited. as I mentioned to you in each episode, these two episodes you 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 just listened to. I'm assuming you did because you're in listening to this outro uh and both of those interviews with Cameron and with Jeffrey and Sam are on the filmwax Radio YouTube channel. I call it filmwax TV but it's the FilmWax Radio YouTube channel, and you can go to YouTube.com/slash/FilmWaxRadio, and you can watch these types of. There's so much content there, and much of it does not make it to this podcast. So if you want bonus content that you're not even being asked to pay for, you should go to there and subscribe. And because we're going to only have more and more exciting stuff, we have uh, wonderful authors and musicians as well as filmmakers and actors and cinematographers and editors and people like that um so i i urge you to uh to do that to subscribe on the youtube channel you should also connect with us on various social media channels i always talk about that on facebook instagram twitter so we're, we're we're always posting and uh uh, yeah, that's 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 basically it. I guess I'm going to sign off here and wish you well, and ask you to please take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time, Adam Shartoff for Film Wax Radio.
2: Yeah. One thing